And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. How many of you are familiar with uh, what we call day labor? I see some hands going up. Um, you show up to a location and you get hired to do a day's work. Now, there are no job benefits. Uh, there's no sick leave, no paid vacation, no retirement, no raises for seniority. The only benefit to the job is the fact that if you don't want to go to work that day, you don't have to. But for those who want to work, they show up and they send them out for the day to work. Now, some men will work this type of job for, their, for years. They have no view to the future. They don't want to look at what's coming ahead. They simply work to meet their daily needs. I was watching a YouTube video of this guy who was talking about communication, and he, he, the way that he expressed it was helping a homeless person in New York City. He rewrote their sign for them. And the, the guy was smart. And normally it takes her about four to five hours to come up with $20. Now this is on the streets of New York. Well, she had $20 within 10 minutes, and she left. She had her daily needs met. She needed $20 a day to survive. And when she got that, she could have stayed there and gotten enough for a couple months. But she didn't. She got her needs met, and she left. There's, there's that common mindset shared by most of those who are perpetually poor, and that is that they rarely, if ever, think about the future, what's coming now, I call it welfare mentality. The only thing about, think about today. If they get enough money um, you know, for today, then they're doing fine. They don't think about the fact that the rent is due next week or other bills are coming up soon. No. They only think about the fact that they have money in their pocket today. And since they're rich today, <laughs> they'll treat all their buddies to a round of drinks. They'll gamble or spend it all in frivolous ways. But... The one thing they won't do is save any money because they're just really not concerned about the future. Now, our Lord taught that we should not be anxious about the future. We looked at, over the last, at that over the last couple of weeks, right? We should not be anxious about the future. But He did not teach that we should ignore tomorrow. In fact, to the contrary, Jesus taught us that our view of the future ought to be the uppermost in our thinking about how we should live today. In other words, our future does affect what we do today. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come as your children to thank you for another opportunity to look into your word, for you to speak truth into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to understand just how important it is to live in light of tomorrow, because our tomorrow is special. Help us to see that today, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You see, as followers of, of Jesus, we should think about the fact that He is coming soon and that every person must stand before Him to give an account. We should view ourselves as stewards who have been entrusted with time, with money, with abilities, and we are to use those for the Master's kingdom. Now, at some time, we don't know when, but we're sure that it's certain that sometime our Lord will return. And we must give an account to him of how we have used what he has given us. Now, after telling his disciples to seek for his kingdom first, Jesus goes on to exhort them to be ready for his return. Because when he comes, he will judge everyone. 
The text falls into two sections, verses 35 and through 40. They have the theme of readiness for His coming. We're to be ready. Uh, then verses 42 through 48 tell us that when the Lord comes, He will judge everyone according to what they have done with what they have been given. So the first thing we see is readiness. We should be ready for the Lord's return. Jesus gives us four word pictures here. He's very good at word pictures. And he's given us four to emphasize the same point. Be ready for his return. The first one, be dressed in readiness. Literally, that is, let your loins be girded. Now, we're not familiar with that saying unless you've you know, been around uh, the Bible enough to understand what they're talking about. In those days, everybody, including men, wore long robes. And they were very restrictive and constricting. If you had to move about or move freely or work or particularly run, you would hike up that thing and you had a sash and you tucked it under your sash so that your long robe became a skirt. Now you could whatever you needed to do. I'm not much of a dancer. Well... Uh, this, this verb that he uses here, it indicates a state of perpetual readiness for action. The second figure, keep your lamps alight. That comes from a day when there was no electricity. How many of you have lived for more than just you know, a day or two without electricity? It's not a lot of fun, is it? When I was in Togo, I had three weeks where we had two hours a night of electricity. They had a little, a little baby generator this big. And they would crank it up and everybody for those two hours would power up their cell phones for the next 24 hours. But that's, and they had two lights in a building that's about half this big. And that's the only electricity you had, you know, the whole time I was there. It's very interesting. They don't know any different. They don't care. They've never known any different. Well, what does that mean for us? <laughs> For them, they had no lights, no city lights, no outside lights, no lights in their house so that when you got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, hey, guess what? You're probably going to stub your toe because it's pitch dark. And if you were expecting a midnight visitor, you know what you would do? You would keep an oil lamp lit so that when they knocked on the door, you could actually come, find your way to the door, and let them in. Again, the idea is to be ready for the master's coming. The third picture is of servants who are awaiting their master's return from a wedding feast. Now, such feasts, they, could, they usually lasted for a few days up to a week. The servants would need to be ready when they heard their master arrive to open the door and serve him. Scholars debate where, whether Luke is using a Roman or a Jewish reckoning of the watches of the night. The second watch, the third. The point is uh, the master would come in the middle of the night. And when you least expected him. So you should be ready. Now the fourth picture is of a thief breaking into a house in the middle of the night. If the homeowner had known when the thief was coming, then he would have, wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. He would have been ready and waiting. And then Jesus states the application of all four of these word pictures. You too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, if you have any regard for Jesus' words, you've got to be concerned with the question, how can I be ready for His coming? Personally, how can I be ready? Our, our text suggests three things. First, to be ready for Jesus' coming, He has to be your master. There's a sense in which Jesus is the Lord of every person. In this passage, He clearly assumes the authority to be the rightful judge of everyone who has ever lived. 
But also, clearly, it's only going to go well for those who are rightly related to Him, who submit to Him as their personal Lord and Master or, or Master. They're going to be blessed when He comes, while the, ra the rest will face His punishment. Now, some say, Jesus is my Lord, but I haven't yet... I mean, Jesus is my Savior, but I haven't yet made Him Lord. Really? Can you find a shred of biblical evidence that gives you comfort with such a condition? Now, I'll grant that a, that a person can truly be saved and fall into sin. Every single saint struggles daily against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And many haven't yet uh, learned how to just be, have consistent victory over these enemies of our soul. But I don't believe that you can truly be saved and live in sin and be comfortable living like that. If you claim to know Christ as your Savior, and yet you're shrugging off known sin as no big deal, you may be in for a rude awakening when Christ returns. The only people ready for His return are those who daily seek to bring every area of their life under His Lordship. And it's a constant struggle. But if you aren't engaging in the struggle, guess what? You need to examine yourself to see if you are in, really in the faith. Those who are ready for Christ's return will seek Him as Lord. Well, second, to be ready for Jesus' uh, com coming, you must be His servant. It should be obvious that a master is a master of servants. His servants live to obey His commands and to do His bidding. Now, Jesus here commends the servants who are up in the middle of the night, ready for their master's expected return. They weren't up at that hour because they didn't like to sleep. No, they were up in the service of their master. Servants really don't have a life of their own. They live to please their master. It's only after they have done what he has asked that he might say, okay, you're free now to have some time to yourself. But even then, if he thinks of something, uh, all he has to do is call a servant and say, you know, I also need you to do such and such. And the servant has to drop everything that he's doing. He has to change his plans and respond, yes, master. Being a servant of Jesus Christ is first and foremost a mindset and secondarily a specific ministry. Now, my ministry is to be a pastor. And I work at that 40 to 50 hours a week just depending on what's going on. But I am a servant of Jesus 24-7 as we like to say. Whether I'm shopping at Walmart or mowing my lawn or spending time with my family, I should see myself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, For you are not your own, for you are bought, have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, in addition to the mindset of a servant, uh, servants of Christ should seek out an area of service that's in line with their spiritual gifts. God has given all believers a function to perform in the body of Christ. And that body will be healthy. It will grow to the degree that every member functions as he or she ought. Now, if you're not serving Christ or, or seeking a, a place of service, then, then you might be living for yourself. Servants seek to serve their master. And when he comes, he doesn't want to find his servants just sitting on a hill waiting for his return. He wants to find them serving him. 
Well, third, to be ready for Jesus' coming, you've got to live in expectation of His return. Verse 37 says, Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert. Now, the homeowner should have been expecting the arrival of the thief. So Jesus says, You too, be ready. If you're expecting a guest, especially an important guest, you live a little differently than if, you, than if you're not expecting anyone. On several occasions during President Carter's time in office, he spent the night in homes of common people. It was his attempt to betray, or to betray himself as the, the friend of the average person, a leader who understood the problems that we all face. Now, although you might not want the president to actually spend the night in your house, imagine how you would get ready if he announced that he was coming to spend the night in your house. Wouldn't your house be spotless? All the beds would be made. You might even put a fresh cone of paint on some of the walls and the woodwork. Uh, you would want your, your, your yard to look presentable. You might go to a, a nursery and get some flowers to plant, right? You would want things to be clean and neat because you are expecting the President of the United States. Well, let me ask you this. Are you expecting the King of Kings? If so, how should your life look would you have been comfortable if he had come back during your activities this past weekend? Are there books or, or magazines or videos uh, that you need to get rid of before he comes into your home? Are there TV shows where you would be really mortified if the Savior were to knock while you were watching that show? Jesus says that we should be ready immediately to open the door to him when he comes and knocks. We shouldn't have to yell, uh, just a minute, just a minute, and then turn the TV off and hide some of the things we don't want him to see in our closet. Spurgeon uses the analogy of his dogs to show how we should expectantly be, be awaiting our master's return. He said that at the very moment he was speaking, his dogs were sitting inside his front door awaiting his return. At the first sound of his carriage wheels, they would lift up their voices with delight because their master is coming home. And then he adds, Oh, if we loved our Lord as dogs love their masters. How we would catch the first sound of his coming and be waiting, always waiting, and never happy until at last we should see him. So to be ready for Christ's return, make sure that He is your master, first and foremost. Be involved in serving Him all day, every day, and live as if you expect His soon coming. Now at this point, Peter asked the Lord, Hey, uh, Lord, is this teaching, is it just for us twelve or is it for everybody? And Jesus' answer is rather indirect. But in effect, He says it applies to everyone in proportion to how much they have been given. So second, we see the ready, I mean the reason for our readiness. It's when the Lord returns, He's going to judge everyone in accordance with the, with the light that they have received. Now in answering Peter's question, Jesus lists four categories of servants, each of whom will receive a different reward or punishment. Do you remember the parable of the soils? How many, how many good soils? Out of the four soils, how many are good? Only one. Same thing here. There's only one uh, type of uh, servant here that he is talking about that is good. Uh, the other three, they face punishment, beginning with the worst, leading to uh, the least severe. 
Now you can draw your own conclusions about the two categories who receive a whipping as to whether they are believers being disciplined or whether they are actually unbelievers who suffer in hell. You can, you can argue that among yourselves. The truth is, I wouldn't want to risk being in either one of those categories hoping that they will be saved. No, I just as soon be solidly in this first camp, the first group that he mentions. And that first category are those who will be rewarded because they knew about the Master's coming and they lived as faithful and sensible stewards. Now the reason this, this passage especially applies to those in church leadership is that Jesus refers to the servants who have been put in charge of other servants and to give them the rations at the proper time. Well, as a pastor, one of my jobs is to feed the flock of the Lord. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord upbraids the shepherds of Israel because they dominated his flock and used them for their own purposes, just as those in the second category that we're going to be looking at here. But the faithful and the sensible steward who will receive a reward, he regards the needs of the servants uh, in his charge, and he remembers that he will give an answer, an account to his master. Now, three times Jesus calls these faithful servants blessed. Verse 37, he makes a startling statement that he, the master, will wait on such, on such servants. Now, he literally did that already, or will do it, when he washes the disciples' feet. Here, he's probably referring metaphorically to the honor that will be bestowed on those who have faithfully served him while they were here on earth. He also states that he will put them in charge of all of his possessions. This also is probably a metaphor of the rewards of heaven. We're not going to spend eternity sitting around on clouds playing our little golden harps. Did you ever think that growing up? I know people that, that do. They think that we die, we get wings, that we become angels. No. Not at all. The Lord is going to give us meaningful responsibilities throughout eternity if we have faithfully served Him here on earth. Now, while we can't really fathom the blessings that God has in store for these faithful servants, if Jesus three times calls them blessed, guess what? <laughs> they are truly blessed. Now, the second category are others who are going to be punished rather severely because they ignored the master's coming and they abused their stewardship. They knew that he was coming back and they, they, they purposely were not ready. This is the worst category of punishment. These slaves wrongly thought that they had plenty of time until their master returned and so they began to live for themselves by abusing those under their charge. They used their stewardship for their own pleasure, for their own advantage, without any regard for the master's purposes. But it's a fatal mistake. The master will return and cut them in pieces. Literally, Jesus says, they will be dismembered. Now, if that's not bad enough, that's not the end for them. He goes on to say that they will be assigned a place with the unbelievers, namely, hell. Now, I believe these frightening words, especially apply to unfaithful spiritual leaders who have used their office for their own advantage. They usually teach false doctrines because they want to dodge their own sin, which is exposed by God's Word. They use religion to promote their own greed and immorality. They've taken that which should have been a benefit for people eternally 
and they used it to actually destroy them. Their final punishment shows that they never truly repented of their own sins and submitted to their lives to the Master. Now, before you all say, whew, that doesn't apply to me, you need to remember that there is a secondary application here for us all. If we know about the things of God, but we don't repent of our selfishness and abusiveness toward others, especially in our own household, uh, are we not just like these unfaithful stewards? Now, this especially applies to every husband and every father who professes to be a Christian. If we do not repent of mistreating our wives and children whom God has entrusted to our care, woe to us when the Master returns. Well, the third category are others who will be punished severely because they knew about the Master's coming, but they didn't get ready. This, this, this category knew about the Master's will, but they didn't get ready or act in accordance with that will. They're going to receive many lashes, Jesus says. Now, this refers to people who have been in religious circles enough to know the truth, but they don't act on it. Maybe they procrastinate, thinking, someday I'll follow Christ and serve Him, but right now I've got to take care of my own business. Uh, besides, to get ahead these days, you've got to cut a few corners, so I'm just not ready yet to follow Christ. Now, hear me on this. Beware. To sin against greater light means greater punishment. To sin against greater light results in greater punishment. To hear the truth proclaimed in church every Sunday and to go out and ignore that truth the rest of the week, that is risky business at best. What if the Master comes this week? Well, the fourth category are those who will be punished less severely because they did not know about the Master's coming and therefore did not live in light of it. So the final category for judgment are those who didn't even know the Master's will. They're going to be judged less severely with a few lashes, but judged nonetheless. Ignorance of God's law is no excuse for not obeying it because it's our responsibility to know it. J.C. Ryle points out our very ignorance is part of our sin. Even those who have never heard of Christ have enough revelation through creation, through the conscience, to know there is a righteous God. But they've suppressed that truth in unrighteousness. Paul says, therefore, they are without excuse. Now, Jesus sums up this principle in, in verse 48. He says, And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Those who have been given the most light and the most responsibility will be judged the most severely. There, there will be gradations of punishment in hell. Just like there are rewards in heaven, there's going to be gradations of punishment in hell. Every person needs to answer the question, do I have a welfare mentality regarding spiritual things? Are you living for today only with no regard for the Master's return and the accounting that He is going to demand? Are you foolishly putting it out of your mind by saying, hmm, 
I've got time. Jesus says that we should be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns. We should live each day with an eye to that future day when Paul says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. We will be blessed if the master finds us ready when he comes. Are you ready? Are you living like you're ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again just for the uh, confrontation that we always seem to get when we come to your word. Yes, there is all kinds of comfort and, and hope and encouragement in Scripture. Uh, but Lord, we know that one of the things that um, the Holy Spirit does is convict us. That's what Tyler prayed for a minute ago, that this morning we'd be convicted of our sin. Father, that you would help us to see our unreadiness. Lord, concerning Jesus' second coming, do we live in light of that fact? It is a fact. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it could be this very morning. God, I pray that you would, it would, you would help us to take these words, to embrace them, Lord, to, to live them so that our lives would look differently because we know Jesus is coming again. Are we ready? Help us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, my very first point was uh, you have to, you know, to be ready for Jesus' coming, He has to be your master. Maybe you've been sitting out in here in church an awful long time and you've sat under the preaching of the gospel and you maybe even know the basics of the gospel. Yes, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. There's only one remedy and that's Jesus Christ. God sent Him to die on the cross for our sins. Is He your master? Have you turned your heart over to Him? If you haven't, Paul says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If something inside of you is saying, yes, you need Jesus, just call out to Him. Call out for His mercy. He'll hear you. And He will be merciful. And He'll make you a child of His. If you don't understand exactly what that is, that's fine. Come talk to me. We'll spend some time in God's Word and I'll show you what it means to be a child of God biblically. But it's not hard. And He's calling you today. But there's plenty of you sitting out here who have been following Jesus for an awful long time. Now, I have, I have, I have noticed in just in my pastoral ministry over the years that there are, are plenty of people that when it comes that time of life in their life, when they know they're going to be going to home to the Lord shortly, they begin to really long for it. And you've heard me do this a dozen times with McCarthy's mom, Miss Kay. Every time I'd go see her uh, over at St. Augustine Plantation for the last probably six months, she'd say, Brother Dave, why is the Lord keeping me here? I, I want to go home. And she did. She's with the Lord now. But you know what? That should be our heart. Not necessarily wanting to die, but be awaiting the coming of the Lord. Now, we're either going to go see Him as a result of our death or when he comes again. I, how many would like to be alive when Jesus comes again and not have to go through that death? Would that not be incredible? That would be, that, that would just be phenomenal. I don't know when he's coming back. Nobody does. But we're to live as if he is. We're to be ready. We're to be about his business. If you're a believer, I hope you're doing that. And, and every one of us, to a degree, can say, yeah... Uh, I'm not quite ready here. I, 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 I'm, I'm good here, but I'm not quite ready here. Then you need to work on whatever that here is for you. 
And it's basically submitting to His Lordship. He wants every part of us. He wants the deep, dark places. He wants to shine the light of the Holy Spirit in there and bring conviction and repentance in your heart so that you can be... You ever, you, how many have ever had just a, a, a monumental repentance after salvation? Let's see some hands. I'm raising mine a couple times. Okay, you walk with the Lord, things get a little stale, maybe you're not following like you should, you're not doing whatever, you know that you're in a little sin here, and all of a sudden, in a moment, God uses something to trigger in you just a repentance. He grants repentance. It's God that grants it. Scripture is clear about that. And when He does, this flood of your soul is released in sorrow and shame for what you have done to God. Remember David slept with Bathsheba, adultery, killed her husband, murder, Uriah. In Psalm 51, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. That's repentance, is when you understand that your sin is not against your fellow man, primarily. That's just a secondary thing. No, your sin is against God. He is the one you're going to have to answer to. So, as a, as a believer, yeah, you've been away from the Lord and all of a sudden He grants you that repentance and you're given that freedom back. That's how He wants us to live every day. Don't save up for years. <laughs> Come to God every day in repentance. Be ready for His second coming because we don't know when it is. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.